everyone welcome to series eight of the ville podcast today we'll be talking about the village the university and the jane and finch community it is july 2nd and it's 4 15 p.m and today we'll be hosting assistant professor jenny foster an urban planner and oppi candidate shannon holness to discuss spatial development patterns in york university heights an area previously encompassed by the jane and finch area podcast will delve into the geographical manifestations of core periphery relations and the intersections between the village, York University, and the Jane Finch community shaping these relations. The discussion will be centered around the means and methods by which village residents, York University, and YBHA connect to the Jane and Finch community. Finally, we will look at the city of Toronto, the role of gentrification, and the impact it is having on the village and Jane and Finch community. And before we get into all that, we'd like to do a quick little recap of last week because we spoke about the future of student housing and or housing, multi-tenant housing as well, where we talked about the public-private relationship kind of underlying these processes and how important socialization in each of these spaces is. Uh, We also spoke about design, architecture, and the necessity of purpose-built housing as opposed to maybe profit-seeking models that that are looking at uh, luxury housing. And we looked at what Student Well TO does both as a project and the work inside of the city of Toronto and how they include and and also the role of student participation um, in in building and forming housing. But before we get into today's podcast, we want to thank our sponsors as always, Professor Louisa Sotomayor and her Student Well TO Research Partnership with the Faculty of Environmental Studies. Uh, This research is also supported by Connections Grant, awarded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. We'd like to thank Research at York, uh, the program at York University that's given us this opportunity. And if you want to learn more, especially if you're a current student, go to Experience York. And without further ado, we'd like to welcome uh, Shannon Holness and Jenny Foster to the podcast. Could you give us a little bit of uh, a brief bio about yourselves? Sure, I'll start. Um, I'm Shannon. I'm an urban planner. I um, completed the York University planning program in 2018. Funny enough, Jenny was my advisor. I was looking at neoliberal housing landscapes and how growth for communities that are marginalized is experienced. And I spent the last two years at the Toronto Community Benefits Network and doing a bunch of other community projects um, to ensure that more diverse voices are included in the planning process. And uh, Jenny, yourself. Hi, I'm Jenny Foster and I'm a professor in environmental studies, soon to be um, uh, merged with geography. And uh, I'm also an urban planner. I had the, the pleasure of working with Shannon through her studies. And we've also worked on another project together around Fur Grove and the Grow Our Grassways project. I've worked with a lot of different community groups in the Jane Finch community, youth groups, and all, all, lots of various groups. So I'm also the co-chair of my union, UFA, York University Faculty Association's uh, Community Projects Committee. So I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of community groups through that capacity as well. I've taught a course in the community for a couple of years that was uh, open access, um, a planning course. And um, I'm not a resident of Jane Finch, but uh, I've learned so much from connections to the Jane Finch community. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for that uh, introduction. And, and it's really, really cool to hear about that open access planning course. I, I would hope that there's more of that that goes around. Um, but without further ado, Shannon, if you could tell us a little bit 
um, about your connection to York University and the Jane Finch community. Today we'll be talking about um, the village, the university, and the community. So we kind of want to know uh, where, where, you're, where you stand amidst all of this. I was, I've lived in Jane and Finch my whole life. I lived, so for about 23 years, I lived in Jane and Finch in um, a community called Fergrove, um, which recently had um, some units condemned just due to the lack of investment in infrastructure for Toronto community housing. Um, and so I also came, and so while I was doing my master's at York University, where I also did my undergrad, um, my housing, that's when, our, that's when we had to move because of the condemnation of our units. But um, lifelong resident, very proud. I'm now on the revitalization advisory for my neighborhood. Now that there's some money circulating to be able to um, rebuild the community where I'm a part of a planning group for that with my neighbors. Yeah, and uh, I guess, um, and just talking about, you know, that lack of investment, that condemnation, could you tell us, you know, a little bit about that? Um, how, did, how did it really kind of get to that? Like, how did it kind of get to the condemnation? And you mentioned that there was a lack of investment. Um, okay. Was it a lack of, like, um, personal investment? Was it a lack of landlords investing? Was, was it a lack of investment on behalf of the city? That kind of thing. Yeah, so I think the, I think the investment in social housing mm -hmm. um, kind of has seen a, a devolvement across for in terms of responsibility from different levels of government so when it was built the federal government was responsible and the province was responsible and then the federal government said we're not doing it anymore so the, and the province always said we're not doing it anymore and so the municipality um who was unable to um with the tax base that the city of toronto has um it's not it's not diverse there's like only one revenue tool that the city has really um outside of other tools to mm -hmm to support these types of in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is kind of the story of behind why the, why the housing in my neighborhood was condemned. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the case for all units in Jane and Finch though, or all housing mm -hmm. in Jane and Finch. Um, that's just the case for my community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know that there are other initiatives for towers, Jane and Finch has mm -hmm. a few towers like high rises and some of them have gone through some processes of tower renewal, not necessarily that have addressed the full building envelope, but have supported some green infrastructure, gardens, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like some of the, I guess, planning context um, thus far. <laughs> but recently, the Metrolink um, approved the LRT, the light rail transit system, to go along Finch West from Keel and Finch all the way down to like Humber, Humber Line. And so that's going to be changing the landscape of the community. I think it's one of the reasons why my neighborhood was able to get um, slated for um, redevelopment um, because transit is something that kind of helps perpetuate growth. And so that is, that's kind of like how we might encounter some changes in terms of development and growth down in the neighborhood. Yeah, and, and I think we also saw some changes associated when they built the Finch West subway station uh, right near your university and your university station, that kind of mobility that allows students or, or anyone who actually really lives in the York University area, York University Heights, Jane Finch, or Finch West to get downtown um, in an affordable manner, right? Like that, that kind of shift. Um, you, you really get to see different changes and different developments in the community. And, and Jenny, yourself, could you tell us also a little bit about your connection to uh, York University and the Jane Finch community. I guess we know about York University, but the Jane mm -hmm. Finch community. 
Uh, yeah, well, I actually did my studies at York as well, and um, including my PhD. Wow. So, um, you know, long time York person. I've been a faculty member since 2005, but just to build off what uh, Shannon said, you know, this is in the context of trends that are global as well. And um, in Canada, what we find is a lot of disinvestment in community housing, in public housing, in affordable housing. And in terms of, um, so Fir Grove, which was Toronto community housing, you know, this is something that is happening in a lot of different ways. Fir Grove is, is really hard hit, but it's part of a larger strategy that we can see across the city of Toronto. You know, it's in it's visible in every like forms of disinvestment in everything from like Shannon described, the lack of maintenance, letting buildings just crumble and fall apart and then condemning them, declaring them unfit, um, investing more and more in things like security and uh, closed circuit cameras instead of maintenance. It's also visible in things like the higher and higher proportion of market rent. So as the proportion of market rent increases, it, um, it, dis it takes the space up. So of course, market rent is never, or it's not typically the actual market rent, it's usually lower. So people have a hard time finding other places to live. Mm -hmm. So they might become stable. And of course, it's like the idea of people staying in their units, you know, as they become stable is absolutely the right idea. But what we find off more and more is that people are like more than 10 years after they've become stable, still in their units and still occupying the space. In an ideal scenario, there would be more um, Toronto community housing, more subsidized, more affordable units available. Instead of doing that, instead of building, um, the city and Toronto community housing is being defunded um, and not uh, the investments are not being made in the affordable units. Um, the higher, we found a higher proportion of market rent and when I talk to managers and administrators at Toronto Community Housing, I actually always pose this question, what, like what's the deal with the increased proportion of market rent? Um, you know, it's interesting. I always get variations on the response of, well, we couldn't afford to um, you know, meet our budget lines if it weren't for the market rent that actually sustains Toronto Community Housing. So you know, if you think about market rent as an essential um, budget line <laughs> um, in Toronto community housing, the whole, you know, the whole system is, is um, unsustainable. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about affordable housing anymore, if that's the model that mm -hmm. we're moving towards. I've heard it called everything from gentrification from within to like all kinds of variations on that. But, but what it really suggests is that, you know, when we have things like investments, like the, the Finch Rail West, the Finch rail line, things like that, these units, like people are are locked into their units as well. So the only way that there can be any changes for the, the buildings to become deemed unfit for habitation. And so that's almost like the workaround that's happening. Yeah. And, you know, and even in my own experiences, I've seen it, you know, firsthand uh, with other like with other friends of mine that have lived in, you know, current spaces in the village and, and obviously uh, dealing with forced evictions as a result um, and that displacement and we're seeing across a, a variety of different people, you know, not just students who live in the village, we're seeing it with, you know, fellow tenants who have individualized leases to the landlord and who live in a house with, you know, 10 plus people sometimes. Yeah, and it's not necessarily for the village being condemned, but if, for example, you, you do have somebody who's coming to your house and they say that it's not safe or that there's fire hazards, uh, like the fire marshal, which which has happened more than 
more than once, and we've learned this from consultations that we've held, what ends up happening is that everybody uh, is, is, is displaced, essentially. They're forced to leave those places, right? So it's, uh, uh, condemnation has, like, I guess, different different types of, quote-unquote, like baggage associated, and there's different forms that we see. But, but that's, I guess, how it relates a little bit to the village. Um, and I guess the next question, again, and this is going to be for directed towards Shannon first, but would you kind of agree or disagree with this characterization of the relationship between York University uh, and the Jane Finch community as town and gown? And I know this might be a new term for our listeners, so uh, we, we might speak about it in, in another second, but if so, or if not, why? So I think from what I understand, the town and gown theory kind of describes development or changes to an adjacent neighborhood based on the presence of a university in, in that area. So I think that I, I, I don't feel that York University has that much of an influence on what happens in Jane and Finch. I haven't seen it happen in my life. And I think that York University geographically has a geographic reality. Um, and, it, and I think that the ways in which um, York University and Jane and Finch are separated geographically are um, kind of what keeps these communities separated. York University is its own space. There are there is um, some urban forestry that divides the communities. There are high rises as well, especially if you're coming up east from Jane on Finch. Yes. You're, there are high rises that kind of also create a bit of a, a divide. And then there's also the village, which yes. is a huge like subdivision that also create a barrier between Jane and Finch and York University. Um, and, and so I think the opportunity for Jane and Finch residents to feel York University in any type of way is um, are, are limited. And when I was going to York University, it was a completely new experience for me, even though I lived down the street for many, many, for my whole life. Um, and so I think that many residents can attest the same. I know that the university might not try to influence development in the Jane and Finch community. They might have other ways to participate and, and shape um, other types of infrastructure in the community. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that they're, they've been able to really penetrate like the, the planning and development scope or, of, of the community. And I want to say something else, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Yes. So I think that the municipality, like municipal leadership might want to leverage the presence of York University to attract development or attract investment to the Jane Finch community. We've seen it happen a few years ago, maybe when I was still in high school, where they tried to rename Jane and Finch as York University Heights. And that was something that was really strongly opposed by residents because of, again, that lack of attachment or lack of visibility or presence of York University in the neighborhood in the first place. It just didn't make sense for residents. So they did try to put like signs up um, like on the street and call it York University Heights, but, but it didn't really, it didn't really land. And so they actually ended up moving your, the, that marker, York University Heights, more east and a little bit more south, I think. Like the mm -hmm. area um, near like Sentinel and Finch, yes, um, Keel and Finch, maybe even towards Keel and Steel, like that might be like York University Heights more mm -hmm. formally now. Um, it didn't land in Jane and Finch. Yeah, there's actually, if, if you like, and I know this is like an arbitrary, but if you go on Google Maps and you know, you just type in the Jane Finch area, you can see the Jane Finch area. There's like the blue drawing. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can type in York University Heights and you see the exact same thing. There's mm -hmm. actually a small square of overlap just east of the village that that, yeah. that both of them share. I, I think that that's just like when you can actually really, really see how that kind of 
you know, York University was almost encroaching on, on you know, that symbolic representation of the Jane Finch community. Mm -hmm. um, but I also wanted to extend this question uh, to, to Jenny. Did you, did you have any, any comments on, you know, that relationship with the Jane Finch community as town and gal? Yeah, well, it's a long-standing um, relationship that I think in many ways has been uh, unrealized or it's been, you know, in, in um, uneven ways. It's been, the relationship's been articulated in very uneven ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, York goes back to the 1960s when the Jane Finch community was planned and developed as well, the early stages of that transition. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of positives and negatives that have come along with the relationship between the two communities. There's things like the community engagement center that's at the corner of, uh, in the mall in the corner of Jane Finch, uh, you know, programs like Success Beyond Limits in the high school and um, things like CLASP, the um, legal uh, counseling to, to residents. Those are a lot of like examples of positives, but then there's been also a lot of negatives like extractive research relationships and things like the misplacement of student interns. I, you hear a lot about that, where York student interns are placed in the community and, you know, to, to not always positive ends. So there's also a lot of, like, York has is definitely been hogging a lot of resources as well. I think I, I don't have a problem saying that at all. Um, it, whether it's everything from leveraging the political um, ability to have the subway system locate stops on the campus. So, you know, if you look at sort of the, the um, demographics of the region, um, you know, at York, there's really like, in this isn't even in COVID, this is like in a, in a you know, a, a year of bountiful TTC ridership, <laughs> you would have basically two, three month periods where there's heavy ridership up to the campus. So the fall term and then the winter term. Yet in the Jane Finch community, you've got, you know, uh, like I think it's 50,000 people who could use that subway line. <laughs> um, you know, with the re why was it located on campus? Well, you know, York was leveraged a lot of its political clout. Um, York, got, like York's advisors, senior policy advisors, worked, you know, at the federal level, at the provincial level, at the municipal level to make that subway extension happen. Um, and when the decision was made to, you know, go forward with the, the subway line, it was rooted through the campus. It wasn't rooted through the area that the most demand for ridership existed. Um, you know, given that it ends at Black Creek or it, it moves northbound through Black Creek, you could imagine that an ideal location would be right up Jane, not necessarily right through the campus. So this is a huge asset for the campus. Is it a huge asset for the community? I would argue it's a lost opportunity for the community. So that would be an example of the university hogging resources to serve its own interests. Um, there's also examples of, of um, you know, we've had building booms on campus, um, new buildings, flashy buildings, you know, architectural wonders, things like that. And those, a lot of those have included section 37 funding in, you know, if you look in the planning act and if you, you know, in the, in Ontario's planning practices, section 37 um, is where there's density bonusing or some kind of a community benefit is supposed to offset special permits for buildings um, and approvals for buildings. So where those community benefits have landed for section 37 agreements have not benefited the community. They've been um, concentrated within York campus. 
So I'll just leave it at that. But we've also hogged the Section 37 benefits as well at York University. And I think, and I think, you know, just to clear up and add to that, when we're talking generally about town and gown relations, and as Sharon Shannon pointed out, uh, it generally is when you have like a, a college or a university campus in a town or an area, um, and there's that limited amount of resources. And what ends up happening is that university becomes the staple of that town, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and that generally shapes and molds the relationship. And I think what we're trying to articulate here is that the Jane Finch community acts as that town with York University in relationship to the broader city of Toronto, right? And I think that in relationship to the broader city of Toronto, contextualized, like it has four different universities. Um, I don't necessarily think that that is the case. You know, there's a huge and, and burdening, like uh, uh, burgeoning, sorry, financial sector. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different things that are going on in the city of Toronto. There's a lot of activity. Um, but but I do think that this town and gown relationship, maybe not in full, but but it does really exist, uh, at least in the relationship between Jane Finch and New York University. Uh, but, uh, you know, and this has kind of been a recurring subject that we've mentioned throughout uh, previous podcasts is that, you know, it's this development for, uh, of York University from, you know, a periphery and now into a semi-periphery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's brought a lot more attention to the area and whatnot, but at the same time, it's also creating increased competition. Yes. And it's the thing is, it still remains uh, slightly underdeveloped in terms of the amount of money that's allocated towards the Jane and Finch community. Mm -hmm. So we're getting an influx in volume of people living there, but it's created like, a bunch of different problems in regards to that, you know? If you don't mind, I'll, I would say that's especially evident when you look at a lot of the features of the campus, the libraries, the labs, the sports facilities, these are all things that, you know, whether it's like the community bike center that's just located on campus, you know, these are all things that should be community assets. Um, but access is very limited for the community to these, you know, things that are, are, are supposed to be within funded with like for the benefit of the whole ward. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like just tying that back, you know, to the village and maybe student housing, right? There are new housing, like new projects that are happening right now. They're there's one, it's beside the Shuwick building, it's near the student administration's building, I don't know what it is, but it's essentially an extension. Um, and there's a, a lot of work and development that's actually happening on like York University land. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, this is our bias here as the York Village Housing Association, but none of it is student housing. There's new developments for the quad, like quad two being built. Um, and that, that's kind of this private public housing, but that, none of that's affordable, right? This is following mm -hmm. this like luxury development model. Like we're talking about these new nice buildings like Bassan, uh, as well, that was recently built, right? Like, these are things that that students really want. That maybe you might dream of. These are like these these weird ideals, but are not necessarily within like the realm of of need or, or like what you know. As students, in my experience, and that we've heard from other members, uh, especially in in you know podcast episode two and three, it's not what they actually like need and can get to and access. And as you just mentioned, right? So so I do think that 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 that, that plays a big role there. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a, like a huge misrepresentation of what the actual student needs, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, it, and we're talking about accessibility to resources and even accommodations across like, the entire spectrum. And you even mentioned the Scott Library, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, even in my own experiences walking into the library during wintertime, there would be consistent leaks. Uh, it would just, like the condition is just in cons consistent deterioration. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that there's a misallocation of uh, monetary resources for the actual accommodative aspects and it's mostly being just funneled into you know bringing more attention to the area which kind of antithetical in my mind but yeah um yeah. i guess on that note uh plowing ahead here uh so 
In the spirit of desired-based research, uh, what are some of the things we can do as student activists and you know activist scholars to improve relations and relieve tensions between York University, the village, and the Jane and Finch community? And I hope, uh, Shannon, well, we're hoping you could uh, touch base on this first. In terms of the opportunities to promote cohesion amongst everybody, I think that I think this is where I want to kind of speak about the fact that there's so many public amenities in the area that can be used by everybody. And, and I think me and Jenny um, both agree that there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of green space in the community as well. So I think one of the best ways that we can take care of each other is to be environmental stewards. But I think like that would probably be like the best answer. Maybe I'll, maybe Jenny answer first. Sure. So, you know, there's a couple things that come to mind um, for me, you know, there's been efforts for, for, I mean, I've been involved for since, uh, you know, 15 years plus in efforts to um, put in a higher emphasis on local procurement. Mm -hmm. So hiring, um, you know, York is like a little town or a city and there's a lot of jobs, high quality jobs, unionized jobs on campus. So there have been efforts to um, increase the proportion of people from the local community with local um, postal codes who are hired and for those jobs. You know, anything that you need in a city, you need at York University, um, whether it's drywalling or, you know, um, plumbing or whether it, you know, whatever it is, um, instructors, you know, what at any level. So the, the efforts to increase local procurement, so buy from the local community, hire from the local community, though, like support for that. And there's something called the Anchor Institute that's now been, York's been designated as an Anchor Institute. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to look into that and to support those efforts and to advance those efforts as well. Um, unemployment, poverty, massive issues in the surrounding community. And we have jobs at York. We have good quality jobs at York. We have jobs that um, could support a family that can um, support the the education of you know children in the in the family. <laughs> so um, sharing the wealth at York that's one major step forward. I think it would be that you know there's there's other associated benefits to that in terms of sustainability. I think it's the right thing to invest in the region as well, as opposed to invest further afield, um, to create local connections, to reduce the um, proportion of, of people who have traveled by car onto campus. So the more you invest in the local setting, the better. That's really clear to me. So I would encourage people to support those types of efforts. There's campaigns um, along those lines and to really get involved with those. So, you know, one of in, so this is Shannon and I agree on this and so build off whenever you want Shannon, but I really feel like one of the least recognized things about the Jane Finch community, one of the more under recognized things and is under acknowledged is the prevalence of green space and really high quality green space and the ecological abundance in the community. There's uh, a lot of well-known places like Pioneer Village or Downsview Park you know, even like the, the Black Creek Community Farm. But then the community overall is has so much green infrastructure. And that's really something that I think we can put an accent on and we can really, you know, support the community in accessing nature as well. Um, there's um, I, there's a, There was a study by the Toronto Region Conservation Authority, I think it's about 10 years old. And um, it was something like a quarter, over a quarter, 26% or more, 10 years ago, was closed canopy cover in the 
in the community. That's really impressive. So this is a huge environmental asset in the community. For the city of Toronto overall, it's under 20%. So this is actually like uh, not the image that most people have of the Jane Finch community. But that's the reality is that it's really ecologically rich. There's a lot of biodiversity. There's a lot of native tree cover. It's, the, it's really interesting in the regional landscape. It's part of the topographical highlands of the Humber uh, watershed. The Black Creek is part of the subwatershed of the Humber watershed. There's the headwaters of other creeks like Hoover Creek and Driftwood Creek that are all in the community. And these are huge environmental assets. There's um, really interesting species growing all over the community like silver maple, red oak, tall grasses. There's a lot of endangered species in the community as well that have thrived. Um, you know, I'd encourage people to learn a lot more about the environmental assets of the community. And that's just the formal green spaces. There's also all the informal green spaces that are really amazing in the community. There's the hydro corridors, there's the schoolyards and the interesting stuff going on there. There's the community gardens, the, the open barbecue areas and the um, gathering spaces, the picnic areas. There's so much that's really beautiful and rich about the community. And again, this is inconsistent with the received wisdom that it's a degraded neighborhood that's you know, unpleasant and, and dangerous. Um, there's so much great stuff going on there. Um, I mentioned earlier that I had the opportunity to teach a, a open access urban planning course in the community. It was a second year grad course that was open to anyone in the community that wanted to participate. And it went on for two years. And um, a lot of community members joined the class and they often led the sessions, which was great. And they participated heavily in the projects that came out of that, that the, each year. And one thing that was really apparent was that there's a really elevated level of ecological knowledge in the community, community as well. So um, the level of uh, environmental awareness was really acute. And I saw this in the classroom in a second year grad course where community members were the ones leading the discussions about the local environment. It was amazing. I learned so much. What it also told me though, and you know, what we learned through that process was that there's a lot of local pride in the, in the ecological assets of the community as well, in the green spaces, in the wildlife, um, a lot of really nuanced sense of, of the local ecology as well. That was amazing. Um, most of that richness is north of Jane, I would say, or sorry, north of Finch, I would say. Um, you know, as you go south of Finch, you find more like the concrete channels and less of the ecological uh, richness. But um, there's also volunteer groups, work, uh, community groups that have been working since the 80s to plant trees to enrich the Black Creek community. Like this is part of the neighborhood that um, we need to understand to see that as well. So having said all that, there are major issues with the community members' abilities to access those beautiful ecological assets in the community. I've learned in, not necessarily through the course, but so I've learned from community youth in other capacities that when youth try to access these green spaces, these beautiful ecological assets, they're targeted by police. And when they access these green spaces, like the trail network in the Black Creek, which is public trail network, they're questioned, they're followed by the police, they're observed, they're the subjects of surveillance. They can't just enjoy these spaces. And I, I mentioned a connection to a local Jane Finch youth group that I'm involved with called Peach, uh, promoting education and community health. And I've heard this story over and over again from youth at Peach 
who would love to spend more time in these beautiful green spaces. But going into these spaces puts them at risk in lots of different ways. And it plays off their vulnerabilities too. I've heard the same thing from families who are simply visiting these you know, community assets, um, relaxing together, having a barbecue. Um, but they also report a lot of police interference when they try to use these green spaces, when they set up a barbecue, they're questioned, they're told to turn down the music, they're turned to, told to make sure they clean up their messes, even when they're still in the midst of enjoying their meal, they're told to, to make sure they don't leave a mess. You know, so these are ways that the police presence in the community really limits the enjoyment of the community assets. And I would really hope that, um, from the Europe perspective that we pay attention to this as well, because there's also a history of the community being blamed for a lot of the problems at um, York University and on the campus. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, that's a false narrative. Yeah. That's something that's you know very dangerous as well, and it's very harmful. And it has direct repercussions on the ability of community members to enjoy their own communities. And I think I think. Just touching on that, we had Professor uh, Artavan Eisenberg. He joined us. He's also well. He was a Jane Finch community uh, member for about five years. He, he was in part founder of Yace, um, or else he, he yeah. helped found Yace. Um, and he, he was also kind of touching on like you know this notion of, of, of surveillance and kind of the relationship that your university has with the community and the need to kind of acknowledge that the kind of reminders that are that are put out uh, when when there are incidents and there's increased surveillance or increased security. Uh, the stigma that comes with that isn't necessarily, you know, uh, uh, brunted or borne by the university, but rather the community and rather like the people who are actually in that area. Um, and, and just speaking about if you've been almost quote unquote threatened trying to access a space, you wouldn't necessarily want to go and access it again, right? Um, living in a space where, where they're trying, you know, where very, very often there is like this heightened sense of surveillance and this like you know, over scrutinization of your everyday lives, right? Um, mm -hmm. Those are the kind of factors that shape your everyday life and, and how you respond to situations when you live there, right? So I, I think I think that was just a great note. And thank you so much for bringing that up. Well, it's also interesting because in other parts of the city, <clears throat> one of the biggest issues with green space and one of the biggest areas of conflict in green space is around off-leash dogs. And you know, we find this across the city in green space. A major point of conflict is uh, dogs that are off-leash when they're not supposed to be. Um, so they often, um, this is a major issue, they disturb wildlife, they um, trample, you know, the, the plants and they, um, you know, create a mess and they harass wildlife and things like that. So they really destroy the ecological richness. What we find in, that's not an issue, the off-leash conflicts are not an issue that I've ever come across in the Jane Finch community, that, the idea of dogs harassing um, nature harassing uh, people, what we do find is it's police harassing. Yes. So it's a, it's a completely different type of relationship and, and you can really, really see uh, like the disparities and experiences in, in that, like, you know, what you're kind of facing in your day-to-day -day or in your everyday. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to take this opportunity too, to, to pass the question back to Shannon, if you had anything to mention or we, we might not move on to another question. No, I think Jenny kind of knocked it right out the park with that um, response was very thorough. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges is just not being able to participate in the same ways as others um, in the different assets of the neighborhood. I think that one of the challenges in terms of 
residents being able to meaningly, meaningfully um, use space in the area, in the community, is based just on that, the hyper-surveillance. And I think that's probably the biggest issue. And I feel like one of the biggest things, uh, uh, we with the Carbon Free Labs at York University, there has been talk about, you know, creating more green spaces and kind of uh, all allocating more resources to create I guess, energy efficient places. I know uh, Dr. Jose Echeberry, I took his class in Fundamentals of Renewable Energy, and he talked about creating more green spaces. And he actually, mm -hmm. uh, a part of that class was to actually go outside and kind of visualize what we can do, uh, just according to students, because that was one of his primary concerns is that getting students involved, what do we want to see? Mm -hmm. And how can we kind of make it more green friendly and kind of essentially having more access to these spaces? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that you really could add to that was also getting you know members of the Jane Finch community involved, right? Because they're, they're the ones who are right beside these spaces. It really shouldn't be limited just to York University <laughs> students. This is something yeah. that definitely involves the entire community. Yeah, and I think moving you know into like kind of a different subject, we spoke a lot about kind of different urban spaces uh, and urban ecologies, and you know I want to come back to this notion of the village. You know I really really love where I live. Uh, I'm still living there. And you, you were speaking about maybe this kind of sink where people are, are, are stuck, you know, where they are just like oh, for a very, very long time. I'm in that exact situation, right? The cost of living uh, in that area is it's just not what my rent is, even if it goes up according to whatever the mm -hmm. rent increases are. So, so I really, really understand that relationship. And I understand that because of that relationship that I have with the neighborhood, people might look at it as, you know, this, this process of gentrification uh, that people might call studentification, where, where students are kind of coming in, um, changing the neighborhood to, to almost like student or meet their needs. And, and that comes with a whole bunch of different things, generally like uh, increased market competition, problems with your neighbors, different kinds of disputes and, and landlord and tenant board disputes. But I, I kind of want to ask uh, the both of y'all, and then Shannon, if you didn't mind, um, we'll, we'll start with you. And we, we wanted to ask, how might the impact of studentification affect urban ecologies and specifically like the Jane Finch community? I think that... I wouldn't make such a huge differentiation between students and residents of the Jamie Finch community. Mm -hmm. I think that students are diverse. Students are um, sometimes there's also there's also challenges with that with being a student as well. Like they might be able to their experiences might be able to resonate more with some of the uh, more marginalized folks in the Jane Finch community as well. So I think that there are some real opportunities, like as we we're talking about earlier, to have those points of sameness be be kind of spoken about more. I don't think that students who live in the village are changing the landscape so much. I think that they're becoming ingrained and involved and embedded as they should be, and in in ways that demonstrate the community's strength. So Jane Finch is a community that always has to advocate for different resources and services and amenities. And I think that students at York University are able to benefit from the presence of those types of sites. For example, I know a lot of students at my in my time at York were very involved in the Jane Finch Action Against Poverty. They probably sat in and added some of their more critical lenses on different socioeconomic um, challenges mm -hmm. to the Jane Finch Action Against Poverty space. I know that there are lots of other amenities that residents from the village can benefit from, such as the shopping centers and grocery stores and dentists and community aid supports that are available as well. So I don't want to draw too much of a line of demarcation between Jane and Finch residents and residents of the village because everybody's human. And I think that 
the opportunities for us to congregate more and, and celebrate each other more are kind of where I, what I'm more interested in discussing. I know that the market pressures are there, but those aren't a consequence of students. I think students are also dealing with a deep affordable housing challenge as well. And that's no different from what residents in the Jane Finch community are experiencing. And also, I think that I guess one of the things that I liked about growing up in Jane and Finch is even though I grew up in a context that was, you know, probably stigmatized in terms of growing up in a social housing development or complex, is that there were multiple generations of people who lived in the neighborhood who were grandparents and their grandchildren lived with them. There was that intergenerational mix and sense of, of culture and heritage, um, even if it was embodied, that Jane and Finch residents seem to have and that that I experienced in my community. So I think that sometimes we take for granted the fact that neighborhoods like this, like the village, like Jane Finch, are safe havens for people who are otherwise socially excluded. We know that there's discrimination in the housing market, you know, and like um, that's an unfortunate reality, but we also know that people here can, can be in this neighborhood and find community amongst others. And and so I think that all of the kinds of spaces that even Jenny was mentioning, like the community gardens and Black, um, Black Creek Community Farm, for example, like those are spaces where people can kind of participate in building their social capital um, while also adding positively to the, the culture fabric of the community. It, it also kind of, and we spoke about this earlier too, it, it kind of shapes like, you know, how people value space and kind of the relationships that they have with the kinds of developments that kind of go on there. I just wanted to add that, so yeah. So I had one more thing. I also don't think we kind of reflect on the lack of modernization and like the subdivision development that the village is. Um, it There's no like points of convergence for people in the community. It's all very mm -hmm. um, like a suburban um, Fordist type of like old school model of um, development that kind of limits the opportunities for genuine community cohesion and also safety. I think like those are some of the bigger consequences for students who live in the village is they're not necessarily able to have a measure of safety when they're walking through the neighborhoods. If you were to walk in a neighborhood in, in any of the communities in the broader neighborhood of Jane and Finch, you'll see that there are always meeting points. There are always opportunities for residents to see each other, even though they're more insular. And I think that's one of the biggest critiques of the design of Jane and Finch is that they're like these insular kind of um, neighborhoods where there's only one way in and no way out. I think that I think that York kind of also perpetuates that with the model of with how the the village was kind of designed. I don't think that there's a great connection to the grid of the city. I don't think that the bus routes um, really do kind of service how people live in the village either. Um, I think the only support that in terms of like being able to move around safely, especially in the night, for a lot of residents um, was the York bus, the go bus, the, the little shuttle bus that they had, the village shuttle. Um, that's one of the only, um, that was the only like transit route that was university provided that really mimicked how students were navigating the village. And so I think that there isn't much of a connection, like there isn't much connections to safety and planning mm -hmm. that the village offers for residents. And I do have a, a, a concern about that. I think the new quad development that's there kind of helps to bring a sense of a point of like centralization and a, a, a spot where residents can maybe do a little bit of grocery shopping, have a grab a coffee that's not like on campus just because it's on the pond road near Sentinel at Sentinel. But outside of that, there aren't many opportunities for active animated streets that students 
could probably benefit from. Yeah, and then also I'm not necessarily like a huge fan of Eyes on the Street because it does perpetuate the, especially for Black and Brown people, a lot more hyper surveillance. Mm-hmm. But I do think that York needs some type of happy medium mm-hmm. in future developments to allow residents to have more of a of a safety net when it comes to the design. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about like that surveillance, I, I think when you're looking at like your university's role or involvement in that that design process, it, it's creating or, or finding designs and or models that help prevent or like that prefiguratively think about these features or or about student safety or about maybe the fact that having 800 single family homes right next to a university might lead to some homes being converted into student homes. So maybe consider like those kinds of transformations that might come with it. Uh, when you're planning and designing it, right? Like latent or almost like like the response-based measures after those flaws uh, happen, right? And and they're very, very crisis-prone measures and, and they add their own kind of uh, negative or quote-unquote, I, I would say like maybe like stigmatizing frame um, to the village, uh, which again, is, is like a great place to live. Like, I, I, again, I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I have I have experienced, you know, my, my own negatives with, with, you know, my landlords, but with the community, it's a, it's a greater space. And I think last week we spoke with Sheila McCartney and she spoke about the importance of socialization and how those everyday negotiations with, you know, whether it's your roommates or members of the community or whoever it is, especially like these social spaces, like how they develop you as a human being, um, not necessarily in any like academic form, but just uh, they, they improve your ability to respond to situations and actually go out into the world and do the things that you need to do mm-hmm. um, in, in very, very subtle ways, right? And, and her research indicated that this actually might even improve your GPA, um, mm-hmm. but, but in a context uh, uh, removed from like any sense of maybe necessarily security or when you are the subject of scrutiny again, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of undermines that that when your negotiations are about getting you out of like this point of surveillance, right? It, it, again, it kind of undermines um, that relationship. And then I wanted to pass the question over, sorry, to Jenny. Uh, we kind of hopped for a second there, but please, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, you know, everything that Shannon said. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think... Um, I think it's fair to say that the village reproduces a lot of the vulnerabilities that the Jane Finch community experiences, but it, under the uh, York umbrella. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those same vulnerabilities, like substandard housing, like unaffordable cost of living, um, the lack of access to service and amenities, all I think a lot of those exact things are reproduced and there's a continuity within the village, but it has the York brand on it. So I think there it's easy to miss also a lot of the vulnerabilities that are going on. And um, I'll just give a, a quick example. I'll keep it necessarily anonymous. Um, in my role in the York University Faculty Association that I mentioned earlier, I'd recently came across um, a community group that is supporting students who are in the village um, supporting students who um, who have uh, through giving them meals, providing meals by providing um, a lot of the basics of life like hygiene products and um, connection to elders and community connections, faith community connections, cultural connections. Like this community group is providing a lot of those things, um, and these are supports that are. Um, are being offered to students who are at risk often of being trafficked as well. So these are students whose, whose uh, vulnerabilities are perhaps invisible because on the one hand, there are students who might be successful in their academic pursuits, but in their home life, 
they're experiencing a lot of stress and um, a lot of risk as well that um, is a result of their living conditions in to a large degree. So this is an, just one example where a Jane Finch community group is providing direct support that is otherwise unavailable to residents of the York Village. And, um, you know, I think in absence of that type of support, a lot of students would probably become more vulnerable, more, more at risk of bad things happening, um, have less control over their lives, you know, less, <laughs> who knows. But, uh, you know, especially in terms of the pandemic and the risk of increased isolation and um, program closures and the closures of things like community kitchens that students have been accessing in the, in the Jane Finch community. I think, um, you know, we can't underestimate the investments that the Jane Finch community is making in the village as well. I guess on that note of like, you know, community building and everything else, I mean, personally, I've been in about six different houses and, you know, each one was a rather precarious uh, sort of setting. And what actually helped me get through that was my friends and other colleagues that had lived in the village around me, you know, whenever I had to move whenever I was forcibly displaced for some reason, I always had friends who would come and help me move and would help me deal with that situation. And I feel like, like you know, that again, fostering that sense of community really aided me in essentially getting through that, those rough periods where I would, you know, be displaced or have to deal with uh, poor housing conditions. No, no. We were wondering if y'all had any questions maybe for us, or maybe if there's any things that you would recommend to, to you know, Andrew and I and or YBHA um, moving forward as kind of this, this, this community outreach, the student-led community outreach group, right in the middle of all of this. You know, if you can take a critical perspective on the massive portion of the campus that no one has access to, the students, the um, you know, faculty members don't have access, but that's part of York's campus that we lease out. Yes. Uh, residents don't have access to it. Um, you know, there's a lot there, let's say that um, in terms of what's possible, quality of life, the facilities, it's actually zoned as public open space. Now, I know that uh, Athletics Canada, their track and field team, they do training on the York Lions Stadium. Uh, I know that because I worked there before. Um, yeah. and York Lions Stadium isn't necessarily open to anybody that isn't a track and field student or somebody who might be playing soccer or the yeah. private team that's leasing out the stadium. Um, so, so I can really, really understand what you're saying. Like getting access to these massive chunks of York University land that are created or labeled like public spaces. Yeah, um, York is sort of leveraging this neoliberal um, model to create spectacles and giving it all away and not benefiting the people like, you know, who like who should be benefiting from these <laughs> public spaces. <laughs> yeah, I would encourage, anyway, so just if you're looking for more topics. So that, that definitely something that should be talked about um, just because we know that a lot of people are experiencing kind of precarious living in. Mm -hmm. I, I may not be from the Jane Finch community. I'm proud to be able to live there. I think that there's a really, really unique kind of culture and being a racialized individual, um, you know, being in an area with a whole bunch of other international students and, and other you know racialized individuals and people who are maybe potentially multiply marginalized in a space that's designed for you know low-income individuals that is affordable that kind of community that I, I really really do enjoy that and i think that spaces that can improve the standard of living in that those communities right like you know york Lions stadium they, they it, should, it should be done right like there should be access to those spaces because it, again my experience isn't the worst i know people who have it 
significantly, significantly way, way worse off. And sometimes, you know, if you have no control or no power in those things, the best thing that you could do is just take your mind off. So no, mm -hmm. I think that that was a great recommendation, Jenny. And I think yeah. it's definitely something worth pursuing. And then, and then Shannon, did you have any, any extra notes or recommendations or comments that you would like to add? No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, I guess on that note, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we appreciate your presence. Really, really appreciate y'all joining us. We, we, it was like a, a great discussion. And I'm excited to go back and edit and kind of, you know, shape this into this perfect, awesome thing. And I, I love it. I appreciate okay. y'all joining us. Okay. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Um, that was a good podcast. Um, you know, we brought up a lot about, you know, fostering a sense of community in the Jane Finch area. We talked about green spaces and just the importance of, you know, the accessibility to resources. Yeah, and I think uh, we also had an opportunity to look at things from the perspective of an individual that came from the Jane and Finch community. And, and, and we spoke about, I guess, some very, we, we were hoping to get into the spirits of desire-based desire research, um, trying to see the things that we can do. But, but again, within the context of, you know, the history of the Jane and Finch community, the history of York University, the history of, of the village, uh, I think you always do end up getting a little bit of, of, of these notions of damage-based research and kind of negative things that are happening. But I'm really, really glad that at the end there, um, especially with Jenny's recommendation, to kind of look at these, these things that should be public spaces um, that, that really aren't open to the public. I'm really happy that we actually have a step in a way forward, you know, moving on after this discussion, after this conversation, um, in a way that isn't just about housing, but is about housing and, you know, the community and, and standard and quality of living and life. And, you know, an important notion that we also brought up was the uh, misallocation of monetary resource that the university has kind of uh, put on these students. You know, we have the new subway system that was created, but at the same time, we're also seeing these uh, deteriorating conditions of the university. So when we, when, we see, when we talk about this misallocation of resources, the money is put to kind of centralizing uh, the York University area, but not inputting enough money into infrastructure development. Yeah, it was it was really cool talking about that town and gown relationship. And I think I think that, that that really does kind of frame the relationship that we have there in the village, right? So uh, I would like to say that this was a great episode. Um, and as always, we would also like to say that we are not legal entities or legal professionals by any means. We're people trying to help other people. Um, and if you want to learn more about your rights as a tenant, please visit yvha.ca or go to the Ontario government website at ontario.ca slash page slash renting Ontario your rights or the landlord and tenant board tribunal at sjto.gov.on.ca slash ltb or the Federation of Metropolitan Tenants Association of Toronto at torontotenants.org. You can also learn more about student multi-tenant housing at York University's website, uh, studenthousing.info.yorku.ca. Uh, and you can also uh, seek more information on the City of Toronto's website. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about housing help support systems in the village, you know our website is the place to go or shoot us an email and you can go one step further by sending us your story of life in the village to enter a chance to win one of 10 free custom YVHA t-shirts. Uh, again, shoot us an email or hit us up on social media on Facebook at Housing York, Twitter at Housing York, and Instagram at YorkVHA. And if you live in the village, one step further, you can go uh, join us in our private group on York Village Housing Association on Facebook, sorry. Uh, and register your home at ybha.ca slash looking for a place. Um, and yeah, my name is Nazi. I'm Andrew. And that's the bill.